My theme today will be the Four Noble Truths. As most of us know, the Four Noble Truths is the primary teaching the Buddha gives on developing wisdom, how to develop wisdom, understanding. It's really more than the primary teaching. It's the teaching that encompasses all of his teachings on developing wisdom. It's the umbrella under which all of his teachings on wisdom fall. Uh, or as the Buddha would say, it's, the, it's like the elephant's footprint. The teachings on wisdom all fit within that footprint. The Buddha, when he was once walking through the forest with the monks, uh, grabbed up some leaves from the floor of the forest and said, where are there more leaves? In my hand or in the whole forest? And the monk said, well, of course, in the whole forest. He said, well, all of these leaves in the forest are equivalent to what I understand about human experience or what you could possibly understand about human experience. But what you need to know is equivalent to these leaves that are in my hand. It's a very important concept because we tend to be concerned with all the leaves in the forest and not those few important leaves that, uh, that pertain to the teaching on the Four Noble Truths. So one of the things that I talk a lot with, with students about when I meet with students is to try to get them to focus, focus, focus in developing wisdom on the basic practices of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, there's a tendency to want to bring in other ways of trying to understand experience, which may have a validity. You know, things like uh, psychological exploration, analysis, things like those kinds of ways of understanding experience, but they don't fit within the elephant's footprint in practicing, in developing wisdom, according to what the Buddha teaches, we focus in on the Four Noble Truths. Again, not to say that these other ways of understanding experience aren't incredibly useful. Uh, so, this process, uh, and it's a process, right? of uh, developing understanding in terms of the Four Noble Truths uh, is just that, it's a process. It's a process that we develop and uh, over time we understand what it is. We understand what the practice of the Four Noble Truths is. One of the things that's very important to understand, understand, and you know, again, this is a developing understanding, is that it's just that, it's a practice. It's a practice. Uh, it's not a set of philosophical ideas. I mean, it is, but it doesn't really have utility in the way that the Buddha meant, means for it to have utility for us in terms of developing understanding unless we make it a practice. So the Four Noble Truths really define a set of practice activities. You know, like when I give homework in a class and I have suggested activities, you know, these are the Buddha's suggested activities. You know, they're kind of suggested if you want to find freedom from your suffering and no true happiness. So it's a set of actions. It's a set of actions. In other words, like with all things, uh, it's something that you have to do. It's a set of actions. It's something that you have to do. And, you know, you're doing it in real time. Uh, you're doing it uh, in the service of 
looking at your experience in real time and engaging in these particular actions. So the first noble truth, which I'll focus on today, is to comprehend suffering. To comprehend suffering. So, uh, you know, it's like with all of these teachings, there's a lot of ways that you can think about what that means. And of course, it's up to you to understand through your own practice, because that's the only way that you're going to really understand is by putting these things into practice, what this means. Uh, as teachers, we try to, to guide you along in that process. So what does this mean to comprehend suffering? Well, the first thing is we have to understand what the Buddha means by suffering. We have to understand what the Buddha means by suffering. And again, uh, we can offer signposts for you for that, but this is something you have to see for yourself. I mean, you can't understand suffering unless you look at suffering for yourself, uh, but you need to know what you're looking at. So what is suffering? So what is suffering? Uh, and this is, again, you know, the Buddha's teaching in the Four Noble Truths, uh, and this is what we're asked to comprehend. Well, what is suffering? Suffering is a condition that we cause. So suffering comes about, uh, is caused by something that we do. Uh, so this is, again, part of what we have to come to comprehend and understand. Suffering is caused by our clinging. Uh, the way that we hold on very specifically to aversion and desire. All suffering, the Buddha said, is rooted in clinging to desire and aversion. I often quote what he said, uh, you know, clinging to being separated from what we find appealing and uh, not being separated from what we find unappealing. You know, the, the desire and aversion that we experience when we are uh, not joined with what we find appealing and joined with what we find unappealing. So when we engage in this process of, of clinging, to, in this process of holding on to aversion and desire, we block the heart. We block the heart. So suffering is the condition in which the heart is blocked. So it's a good way, I think, for us to think about what suffering is. When there's suffering, the heart is blocked. The heart is blocked. Uh, Ajahn Mahaboa, the Thai, uh, John says the heart is in a squeeze. I like to think of it as the heart is blocked. The heart is blocked when there's suffering. Now, suffering, of course, is compounded, which means when I suffer over something somebody says to me, when I suffer over uh, a criticism that I receive uh, uh, and I have aversion, uh, the heart uh, is blocked, but you know, the heart is also blocked to some extent by all the times in my life when I've suffered, I've clung to the aversion to when somebody's criticized me, etc., etc. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like a window, right? It's like, you know, it's like the window in my, my flat here, you know? It's kind of like by this time of the winter, you know, there's been there's so much dirt and soil on the window that's just kind of accumulated over the course of the, uh, over the winter, on the window. Uh, so the window, you know, 
uh, is blocked to some extent from the sun being able to shine through, right? So suffering this is this condition in which the heart is blocked uh, or the window is covered with soot and grime and etc., or which the sky is uh, obfuscated by clouds. So, you know, the good news is the suffering is uh, not the window. You're not your suffering. You're not your suffering. Uh, the good news is you can clean the window. The good news is there's nothing wrong with your heart. You know, we tend to think when we're suffering that there's something wrong with our heart or we have a defective heart or we don't have a heart. You know, there's nothing wrong with the heart. The problem is the heart is blocked. The heart is blocked. Your heart is as good as the Buddha's heart. Everybody has uh, this goodness that's found in the heart. That's not the problem. The problem is you're blocked off from that and you're blocked off from it because of something that you're doing. You're clinging, you're holding on to aversion, desire. So the question, or one of the questions, you know, it's important, we have to learn to ask questions. You know, you develop wisdom by asking questions. Uh, you know, the Buddha was really clear about this. So the importance of learning to ask questions. Now we need to know the right questions, right? So, uh, you know, one of the most important questions is, is the heart blocked? Or is what I'm about to do going to block the heart? The Thai Arjans like to say is, how is the heart? How is the heart today? Is the heart blocked or is the heart shining? You know, is the heart shining or is the heart blocked like a sky that's blocked with clouds and the sun can't shine? So how is the heart, is the heart blocked? So that leads us to the question, well, how do we know when the heart is blocked? How do we know when the heart is blocked? Oftentimes we may think, well, it's obvious I'm suffering. You know, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a great anguish or despair or whatever. But of course, one of the things about suffering is that when you're in it, you don't realize that you're in it because you're in a state of delusion. The Buddha was really clear about that. So how do we know when the heart is blocked? We learn to discern when there's a quality of dis-ease. Right? This is something that we talk about a lot, right? Uh, we learn to be sensitive to the body and to be able to discern in the body a quality of dis-ease. Disease. I think we know kind of what that means, right? A sense of contraction, a tightness. When the heart isn't blocked, there's a smooth flow of easeful energy in the body. When the heart is blocked, the body contracts and tightens. There's a quality of dis-ease. So as Dharma students, we want to be, we, we learn to become more and more sensitive to dis-ease. That's the first noble truth, right? This is elemental to the first noble truth, is to be sensitive to dis-ease, to dis-ease, the dis-ease, and we pick this up in the body. I always like to say the body is like an antenna, right? You know, that's picking up dis-ease, picking up when the heart is blocked, picking up dukkha, right? You pick that up in the body. 
you pick that up in the body. Uh, when you're really in suffering, it's really hard to pick it up in the mind because the mind is in a state of delusion. It's not clear. So we learn to pick up uh, and understand when the heart is blocked by being aware of dis-ease in the body. Well, how do we learn to discern dis-ease? Well, we learn that in the breath meditation by learning to look at the breath. I mean, this is one of the most refined ways of learning to discern dis-ease and why that step in breath meditation is so important. We learn in the breath meditation to look at the breath, which is really just a microcosm of our whole human experience, and we're learning, we're developing this skill of discernment. It's the first way that the Buddha teaches discernment, to be able to look at the breath, at the nostril, or the throat, or the chest, or the belly, and to be able to perceive dissonance or dis-ease in the breath. We learn to discern dis-ease by being developing mindfulness of the body. So in other words, if we don't have mindfulness of the body, which we're learning to develop in the breath meditation, right? In the breath meditation, we're learning to develop mindfulness of body. We call that uh, categorically step, uh, step three, when we learn to develop an enlarged awareness, a full body awareness. Uh, we need to be able to learn to develop a mindfulness of the body if we're gonna be able to, if the body is gonna become like an antenna. So we can pick up the dissonances. You know, we can pick up you know, the close radio stations, but also you know, Ohio, if you're in New York. You, know, you can pick up that little, like I, when I was a kid, I you know, lay in bed at night listening to my transistor radio, to the transmissions from you know, Dubuque or wherever, you know, on Long Island, hearing the broadcaster in Kansas. You know, the body becomes like that when you develop mindfulness of the body. The Buddha, the Buddha is very clear about this. You know, if you want to learn to develop uh, uh, the ability to discern your suffering, you have to be able to pick up dis-ease, and the way that you be able, are able to pick up dis-ease is by having mindfulness of the body. So mindfulness of the body is so important. We learn to discern dis-ease by cultivating ease. Right? We learn to discern dis-ease by cultivating ease. So, you know, this is really what we're doing in the path. You know, on the path, we're cultivating a degree of ease, developing the Eightfold Path. We're cultivating ease by uh, practicing right action and right speech which brings ease, you know, ease to the body, and then we cultivate these qualities of concentration, of focus, of ease, of internal pleasure. So we're cultivating ease, we develop an easeful abiding, we learn to have an easeful abiding, we learn to be able to maintain an easeful abiding in all postures as we go throughout our day, and then we notice when that easeful abiding is impinged on when there is dis-ease, right? So if you really want to learn to be able to discern dis-ease, you have to cultivate dis-ease and then notice when the ease is interfered with. So it's like Tanisaro Bhikkhu says, you cultivate this internal stillness 
and then you notice what's interrupting the stillness or the silence, right? So it's kind of like, uh, you know, yesterday was a really windy day, you know, uh, and I could tell that it was windy because I could look out the window and the trees were waving around, right? If there weren't any trees out there, I wouldn't be able to know that there was wind, right? You know, it's the same thing. When you cultivate that state of ease, then you notice when the ease is interfered with. So you begin with this quality of ease, quality of ease. You know, this is why I want to meditate every day. And this is why I want to have this full body awareness. So that when I go through my day, I can pick up the dissonance. Like we don't put this in the brochures, you know? You know, but what you're doing in the meditation, you know, it's, it's in and of itself, it's a pleasant abiding, you know, but what you're doing is you're putting yourself in position so that you can pick up dis-ease as you go throughout the course of your day. So once we can begin to start to see that, you know, we're, so this is comprehending dukkha, comprehending suffering. Uh, so we begin to start to understand that there is this dis-ease and then the next question, right? Questions, the importance of asking questions. Your questions are focusing you in on these important issues, right? And these practices of comprehending suffering. The questions are framing uh, the things that you need to be paying attention to in a proactive way. The questions are questions about that handful of leaves, right? So we need to kind of learn to ask the questions. I mean, you have to ask the questions. I mean, you can know what the questions are to some extent, but you have to be able to ask them during the day so you can focus your attention where you need to focus. Questions are, are like a frame that, that focus you on what you need to focus on. So you could, we could say the next question is, what am I doing that's causing the dis-ease? What am I doing? You know, what am I doing that's causing dis-ease? Is there some mental quality, some emotion, some form of aversion or desire? They have many different subsets, right? Anxiety, worry, fear, lust, uh, disappointment, dissatisfaction. Go down the list. Am I holding on to some kind of an emotional state? Am I engaging in some form of thinking that's informed by some form of aversion and desire? Am I engaging in a narrative? Am I acting unskillfully with speech or through my deeds? I mean, this is basically, you know, what we do that brings about disease. We hold on to an emotion, we engage in a narrative, which usually comes from holding on to an emotion, or, and or we engage in some kind of unskillful action, which comes out of thinking, which comes out of holding on to the mental state. So what am I doing right now? What am I doing right now? Or what am I about to do? Is what I'm about to do going to cause dis-ease? Is what I'm about to do going to block off my heart? Because that's really what the question is, right? I mean, it all comes down to that. Is what I'm doing blocking off the heart? That's what, that's what dukkha is, the blocking off of the heart. It's important to understand what dukkha is because it's a lot suffering, and dukkha is the Pali word for suffering, because dukkha is a lot more serious than we may think it is, right? Because we may think, 
oh, dukkha is I just get really angry, I'm in despair, I'm depressed. It's more serious than that. This is the teacher being didactic here. You know, it's a lot more serious here, dukkha, than just being angry or being depressed or being worried. Your heart is blocked. Your heart is blocked when, you're, when, when there's dukkha. Your heart is blocked off. Your heart is blocked off. So, you know, this kind of is, is part and parcel of the next question. You know, like, what are the consequences? You know, well, the heart is blocked off. Are the consequences? Well, what are the consequences of the heart being blocked off? What does that mean? Gee, that sounds pretty intense. He's really coming on strong here. The heart is blocked off. But what the hell does that mean? You know, I mean, the heart is, is a concept that can be, you know, I mean, you know, it's on greeting cards, it's here, it's there. We just say Valentine's Day, you know, it's like, what's the heart? What do we mean when we're using the term the heart? You know, the Thais use the term the chitta, the chitta. You know, what's the heart? What's the heart? So, you know, the heart is your innate wisdom. You know, it's your, 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 your wisdom, the wisdom that will set you free. Transcendent, liberating wisdom is found right in here, the Thais would say, in the citta, in the heart. When there's suffering, you're blocked off from your innate wisdom, which is your innate, inherent, God-given, if you will, birthright, you know, you know your, your capacity to, to be able to know what it is that you need to do to free yourself in this life and know true happiness. You're cut off from that. You're cut off from that wisdom. You have this wisdom. You have this wisdom. You have this wisdom. But you're cut off from it when you're clinging and holding on. You know, when there's dukkha, you're cut off from that wisdom. Also, the heart includes those qualities of compassion. You're cut off from compassion. You're cut off from loving kindness, from metta, from your capacity to connect to your wish to be happy and the wish that you have for others. And you're connect, cut off from that quality of appreciation, joy that we talked about last week. So when the heart is blocked, we're cut off from these qualities. We're cut off from our innate wisdom. We're cut, we're cut off from compassion and loving kindness and joy. We're cut off from our ability to take skillful action. Because the heart is what tells us what skillful action is. It's the heart that gives us the quality of intention through compassion and loving kindness that inform and empower skillful action. So in the heart is, you know, the capacity to understand what it is that we need to know, what it is that we need to know we have to do in order to be happy, and also the strength and the power uh, to do that is all right there in the heart. So we're cut off from this capacity that we have to take action that's going to be in support of uh, true happiness for ourselves and for others. So when the heart is blocked off, you're, you're cut off from your greatest strength. You're cut off from your human potential. You know? You're cut off. So, so the consequences are really high. You know, you're cut off from your potential. You're cut off from your ability to make the most out of this life when the heart is blocked off. That's what suffering is. That's why the Buddha said, this is the issue. This is the issue. 
It's like what you're doing is blocking you off from the heart. It's blocking you off from your innate wisdom, from compassion, from loving kindness, from, compa from joy. What you're doing is blocking you off from the source of your greatest strength. What you're doing is blocking you off from the source of your human potential. And this is why we don't get so much out of our potential, because we're blocked off from it. Now, how do you know this? You know, I mean, how do you know that, you know, that this is what the heart is? Uh, how do you know that the heart is your, the source of your greatest potential? How do you know that the heart is what enables you to take a skillful action? How do you know that the heart is where you find your innate wisdom, that you have this innate wisdom? that you have this capacity for compassion and loving kindness. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the tricky thing, right? Because how do you know that? Because you can't know it if your heart is blocked off. So first you sort of have to take it on the Buddha's word, you know? I mean, that's sort of that little bit of a leap of faith, but that's only going to take you so far, right? The only way that you know that when the heart is blocked off, you're cut off, from all of your goodness and your great, greatest potential as a human being, you have to start unblocking the heart. So you have to start paying attention to the dis-ease. You have to start seeing what it is that you're doing. You have to start looking at it and getting some space from it, equanimity, and start to develop some understanding uh, that, uh, that this is what you're doing. Uh, and as you start to unblock the heart a little bit, you know, because we're all kind of doing that, you know, uh, you start taking action. The Buddha actually has you start taking action because he operates under the assumption that our hearts aren't completely blocked off. So the first thing that he has you do is start to practice generosity and see what it's like when you're actually acting from the heart. And if, you know, you practice generosity skillfully, you start to say, Wow, this is a path to a greater happiness. I'll be damned. You know, let me start unblocking my heart even more so that I can act even more with generosity and more with virtue and more with kindness and more with love and more from my place of innate wisdom. So, you know, we start to do our best to connect to the heart, uh, start to unblock it, and we have to act, right? You have to act because that's the only way that you truly understand. Uh, the potential of the heart, because the heart, the potential of the heart is found in the actions that issue from it, what the Buddha called the heart's sure release. That's why he has you practice generosity and then virtue, to begin to understand what it's like when you're able to act from the heart. You know, so we begin to see for ourselves what it's like, the potentials of the heart practice of generosity, of virtue, begins to open you up to the potentials of the heart. And then you start to practice some dhamma, some meditation, and you start to get a little bit of space, and you start to open the heart a little bit, right? And this is why things like the retreat that we're going to do in, in, in a month or two, a couple of months are so useful, because, you know, we work really hard for a week or so in unblocking the heart, and after a week, you know, it's like, wow, when the heart is unblocked, you know, this, this love that I'm feeling for that person I hated just eight days ago, you know, is incredible. 
you know? And you know, and you start to get a little bit of a taste of what it's like when you're living from the heart, you know? But, but we all can do this every day to the extent that we make an effort to, to get uh, some uh, freedom from our disease and our clinging and to take action, to take action. Uh, and we begin to understand what it is when we live from the heart. So our practice is a practice of, you know, paying attention to those handful of leaves. That's appropriate attention. We've only got a certain amount of time in this life. There's a lot that we can do with these minds, you know, in terms of focusing on a lot of things, you know? There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of stuff, you know, you can do all different kinds of stuff, you know, a good use of your time is to really focusing it on comprehending suffering, to seeing, to paying attention to what you're doing, to consider what you're about to do. Am I holding on to an emotion? Am I in a narrative? Am I acting unskillfully? Is what I'm doing blocking the heart? Is what I'm doing, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to do? blocking the heart. What are the consequences with regard to the heart? I mean, this is, this is what we're asking and what we're looking to see. What are the consequences of my actions in terms of the way that I'm holding on to aversion and desire, the way that I'm engaging in a narrative, the different kinds of speech and deeds that I'm engaging in? What are the consequences in terms of the heart? Is what I'm doing, is what I'm about to do going to block off the heart? Is this going to prevent me from my innate wisdom? Is this going to prevent me from compassion, from loving kindness? Is this going to put me in a position of weakness? Is this going to prevent me from my human potential? Is this going to prevent me from making the most of this life? <laughs> 